Right, thank you so much. Great worship this morning, and what a joy it always is to be able to share with you in this time. Today is the official launch of our Transformational Church Assessment Tool. I hope uh, you are ready to participate in that. We're excited about it and looking forward to your participation. There are instructions for you. Uh, in the bulletin that you received today, and you can see how you can go online and take that survey. And we really do want to encourage those of you who can and are willing to take it online to do so. Just makes it easier and quicker for us. We don't have to hand enter all that material. Lifeway will do it for us. However, if you prefer a, a hard copy, a paper copy, those are available. And so we make those available to you today. Uh, also, we're, we, we've been informed by LifeWay that the system is kind of gummed up a little bit. You may get on there and uh, online and it move a little slowly. Uh, we apologize for that. It's not us. It's, it's an issue with LifeWay. Just be patient with us and, and get on there and try to do as much as you can. If, you, if it sticks on you, just come back and try to finish it later. But do help us with this. We're excited about how God is going to use this in the life of our church. And in that keeping uh, this morning, uh, sort of as a bookend to last week's message as we launch the TCAT today, I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and your, your bulletin insert, your message guide, as we talk today about what it means to be a disciple. I'm going to tell you a story. My last uh, full-time church that I left before, uh, after coming back from overseas and we're making our way to North Greenville University, my last full-time pastorate, as I was transitioning out and Making my way to North Greenville University, the church, did, you know, was very gracious. They, uh, they did some things for us as we prepared to leave. And one of the things that they did was have different folks in the church have an opportunity to write little cards and notes and, of encouragement. And, and one of the groups that did that was uh, the children's Sunday school class. Now, there were several of them, but uh, there was one particular little boys class, six and seven-year-olds, that their teacher encouraged them to write uh, notes to us as we prepared to leave. I believe it was Art Linkletter, uh, who used to host a television show that said, kids say the darndest thing. Many of you probably remember that. Well, this little blonde, toe-headed, 7-year-old uh, little boy uh, wrote me a note that said the darndest thing. It said, Dear Dr. McQuite, I do not like you living. Now, I think he meant leaving. I think that's what he <laughs> meant to say, but he spelled it L-I-V-I-N-G. I do not like you living, but I'm glad you're getting a job. And I thought, what in the world have I been doing here these last <laughs> five years? Anyway, I, after I read that note, I do not like you living, but I'm glad you're getting a job. After I'd picked myself up off the floor laughing, God said uh, the darndest thing. <laughs> he said, I want you to read that note again. So I read it, and I was still kind of laughing. And he said, read it again. And I read it again, and I read it again, and I read it again. And I began to see in those innocent childlike words, 
I do not like you living, but I'm glad you're getting a job. A message from the Lord that I have never forgotten. It is a message for every one of us, really, who claims this morning to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the key that unlocks and unleashes the full potential of our Christian lives individually and corporately, our incredible potential as the church of Jesus Christ. It is a message perhaps that we need to hear today more than we've ever needed to hear it before. Regardless of how long we've been Christians, regardless of our age, whether we're middle school or high school or in midlife as an adult or senior adults really doesn't make any difference. God's wanting to say to those of us today who really desire to have our lives count beyond just marking time between the day of our birth and the day of our death, if we really want to hear when we stand before God the words, well done, good and faithful servant, then this is a message we need to hear today. And we not, don't just need to hear it, we need to make sure that we do something with it. And so I want to begin this morning by talking about and looking at God's view of my life. God's view of my life. You know, as God looks at my life, you know what he's saying to me this morning? As God looks at my life, he is saying, Alan, I do not like you living. That's his message to me, to all of us this morning. I do not like you living. Now, the apostle Paul understood this. And he expressed this truth in a verse that we've looked at before, and I just keep coming back to. It's one of those touchstone verses in my life, Galatians 2.20, where Paul wrote and he said, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been put to death. Therefore, what? I no longer live. Paul said, my life is over. I've been crucified. I have been put to death. I no longer live. In other words, what he's saying is, really, I no longer have a life of my own. I'm not free to go anywhere I want to go anymore. I'm not free to do anything I want to do anymore. I'm not free to think any old way I want to think anymore. I'm not free to pursue whatever I decide to pursue anymore. Why not? Paul says, because... Christ now lives in me, and I live my life now with my eyes focused on Him. I live my life now with my mind in tune with His mind, my will aligned with His will. It's not about me anymore. That's what Paul is saying. It's not about me anymore. It's all about Christ. We saw that last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 15 where we read Paul says, "And Christ died for all so that those who live, you and me, would no longer live for ourselves, but for him 
who loved us and gave himself for our sake. We saw it a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Philippians 1.21. Remember? Paul said, for to me to live is what? It's Christ. Jesus was the whole reason for Paul's living. So as far as Paul was concerned, he didn't have a life to live anymore because it was now Christ living out his life through him. The very essence of the Christian life, church, and I want you to hear this truth this morning again. We keep coming back to it over and over again. The essence of the Christian life is that when I come to Christ, I die to self. When I come to Christ, I die to self. I die to every selfish thought. I die to every self-centered ambition. Why? Because it's all about Him, right? Life is about Him. Church is about Him. Everything is about Him. My job is about Him. My finances are about Him. My relationships are about Him. My home is about Him. My marriage is about Him. My parenting is about Him. My hobbies and my pastimes are about Him. Now, if you struggle with that, and maybe don't really believe that, let me show you a verse here. Romans 11, verse 36. Look at it with me. Romans eleven thirty six. it says, For from Him, speaking of Christ, all things originate, and through Him all things live and exist, and to Him are all things directed. To Him be the glory and the honor forever. Now let me ask you a question. What in that verse is about you? Anything? What in that verse is about me? From Him, through Him, and to Him are all things, right? It's all about Him. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul said, so that it's not me who's living any longer. It is Christ who is living his life out through me. So when God looks at my life, he says to me, Alan, I do not like you living. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German pastor, theologian, anti-Nazi dissident, known for his staunch resistance, to the Nazi dictatorship and the practice of Hitler's euthanasia program and genocidal persecution of the Jews was arrested as an enemy of the German state in 1943 by the Gestapo. He was falsely accused of being part of a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. He was tried. He was found guilty. He was condemned to death. He was hung on April the 9th, 1945, just a couple of weeks before the Allied armies liberated the prison that he was in, a, a fellow prisoner with, with this German pastor who had observed him throughout those long two years of imprisonment and abuse wrote this about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I want to read it to you just verbatim. He said, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to God. I was most deeply moved by the way this man prayed, so devout, so certain God heard his prayers. At the place of execution, 
He climbed the few steps to the gallows, brave, composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. And in the almost 50 years I have worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, one of those classics that every Christian ought to read. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. God does not like me living. James Calvert, pioneer missionary to the cannibals of the Fiji Islands, went there in 1838. He had been a printer a book binder, a book seller. But he felt the call of God upon his life. And he said, I will go to this dangerous place and I will share the gospel with these people who have not heard. On his way, on his voyage by sea to those islands, the ship's captain that was transporting James Calvert and his companions tried to talk Calvert out of the work God had called him to do. And this ship's captain said to James Calvert, Mr. Calvert, you will lose your life and you will lose the lives of those with you if you go among such savages. You will surely die if you do this. To which James Calvert replied, Captain, we died before we ever came here. He understood something. God does not like me living. 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul said, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Here's the truth, another one. <laughs> from the pages of God's Word and from the testimony of God's people, daily Christian living, church, is daily Christian dying. Daily Christian living is daily Christian dying. It is dying to self. It is living for Christ. That's what Jesus said, right? Whoever wants to be my disciple, pretty all-inclusive, whoever this isn't just for the pastors, it's not for the preachers, it's not for the missionaries, it's those we set, not for those we set up on these spiritual pedestals and saying, oh wow, they're really committed. No, this is for every one of us, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, daily, follow me. Daily Christian living is daily Christian dying. This is God's view of my life. Alan, I do not like you living. And when this happens, when I stop living for myself and start living for Christ, then I can start, guess what? I can start doing my job. That's, that's when, and this is only when, I can begin really doing the thing that God has saved me and placed me where I am to do. So God's view of my life is, I do not like you living. What is God's purpose for my life? God's purpose for my life, he's saying, Alan, I'm glad you're getting a job. 
Can I say to you this morning, you need a job? You say, I'm retired, preacher. No. You need a job. I need a job. What's the job? Well, it's found in some of the last recorded words Jesus ever spoke to his followers while he was still on earth. Very familiar words. Sometimes we get so familiar with them, we hear them, but we don't understand how they apply to us. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Look at this with me. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and remember I am with you always to the end of the age if you've been in church any length of time at all you know that Matthew 28 18 through 20 has been called the great commission it's certainly not the only commission Jesus gave his followers As a matter of fact you'll find very similar words in Mark Luke John and in the book of Acts so why in the world does this particular text, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, why do we set it apart? Why is it called the Great Commission as opposed to the other commissions? Well, I believe it's because of two words that we find in this that, it, that, that translate make disciples. It's really one word in the original language, but in English, it's two words. Make disciples. Disciples. Now I want you to listen to me carefully. Church, things can change in this world if Jesus can just find some disciples. Things can change in this community if Jesus can find some disciples. Things can change in this church if Jesus can find some disciples. Things can change in our homes and in our families, our schools. If Jesus can just get hold of some disciples, that's what he's after. He's after some people who aren't just interested in the free ride up there, but who are committed to the costly responsibilities down here. He is after a group of people raising up some followers whose total way of life conforms to his word and to his will. People who have totally died to self, who will totally live for Christ, that's discipleship. If you still have the little brochure we handed out last week on the very back of it, it says a disciple. Is someone who walks with Jesus, someone who is changed by Jesus, and someone who is sent by Jesus. Walks with Jesus, changed by Jesus, sent by Jesus. This is a disciple. Discipleship means more than just occupying a comfortable seat in church. It means more than just having a comfortable religion. See, being a disciple means being willing to be known in this world as a representative of the kingdom of heaven. It means putting God first and yourself 
last. It means placing the totality of your life under the authority of Jesus Christ so that wherever you are and whatever you do, the world sees Jesus. It hears from Jesus. It's confronted with the reality of Jesus. Are you up to that? Are you man enough for that? Are you woman enough for that? Let me tell you, being a disciple is not for wimps. It is not for weaklings. This takes courage. It takes stamina. It takes some real commitment. It's not for folks who just want to be spoon-fed on Sunday mornings. You've got to decide you want this. You're willing to pay the price for this, the cost for this, or else. Let me tell you, you're just going to be pushed along, and the church is going to be pushed along by every shifting wind of the culture and by the pressure of the people all around us. Listen, this is our job This is our task, and the Great Commission is our job description. It is Jesus' call. It is Jesus' heart cry for disciples. His heart cry for disciples. There are three things Jesus says disciples can count on when they start doing their job. Three things. You need to understand what these are. Number one in this job description Jesus says there is a power for disciples to command. There is a power for disciples to command. Look at what he said again. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's it's significant that Jesus says all authority, not a little bit of authority, not some authority, not even most authority, but All authority, Jesus says, has been given to me. My friend, whether it is located in heaven or whether it is right here on planet earth, everything is under the absolute, unalterable, unshakable, direct authority, control, and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That authority has been given to him by God the Father, and that means when you become a disciple and you go to work for him, then he passes on that authority to you. And when you live in that authority, let me tell you, that's when your life is going to have some power behind it. Acts 1.8 is another one of these uh, verses that we find this commission that Jesus gave to his followers. And in it, he says, Jesus says, look at it, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive what? Power. Power to do what? Power to be a disciple. Because Acts 1.8 says the purpose of the power is so that we might be his witnesses in Jerusalem, where we are, in all Judea, among people who may not be exactly like us, in Samaria, among people we may not even like, (laughs) And even to the ends of the earth. Let me tell you something. A Christian does not receive power because he comes to church, 
sits in a worship service and reads his Bible. A church does not receive power because it has a lot of money. An eloquent preacher, a big congregation or beautiful buildings. Here's the truth. Power is only given to disciples. And when you start doing the job of a disciple, then you'll start experiencing the power of a disciple. And you won't experience the power until you start doing the job. It just doesn't happen. One of the great tragedies in our world today is the powerlessness of a powerful people called the church. And that powerlessness has one cause. It is not a lack of churches. It is not even a lack of Christians. It is a lack of disciples. It is a lack of people who are willing to totally die to self so that they might totally live for Christ. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That means there is a power for disciples to command. There is a power to pierce the spiritual darkness with the light of the gospel. There is a power to cross the barriers of race and culture and language. There is a power to wage war against the spiritual forces of evil. There is a power to cast down the strongholds of Satan. There is a power to bring hope where there is despair, love where there is hate, joy where there is pain, victory where there is defeat, life where there is death. There is a power available to you and to me, to this church, if we're willing to be disciples. Jesus said you can count on it. If you will be a disciple, there is a power you can command. Secondly, not only is there a power for disciples to command, but there is a program for disciples to complete. Programs found in verse 19, it's a three-step program. <laughs> Three things Jesus says disciples must do. Let's look at them quickly. Number one, he says disciples must go. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Now, do you see where I've underlined the word go there? This, this is a very, very interesting word. I've spent a lot of time this past week uh, studying it, looking at it in the original Greek, seeing how it has been used in other places throughout the New Testament. Now, you may not believe this, but this specific word that is translated go, if you break it down and you really go back to its original meaning, let me tell you what it really means. It really means go. That's what it means. This may be hard to understand, but it means don't stay. 
it means get out of here and get out there where the work is. Now, Jesus said, go. Go across the street. Go across the block. Go across the world. Jesus said, go. So the question that is begged this morning is, why aren't more of us going? Why aren't more of us going? Well, I think it's because we have largely misunderstood the church. Okay, can I talk to you honestly and frankly this morning? We have largely misunderstood the church. Let me tell you what the church is supposed to be like. Can I do that? I want to tell you what the church is supposed to be like. The church is supposed to be like a gas station that you pull into when you're going on a trip. Now, when, when you pull your car up to a gas station, when you stop and get out and fill up your car with gas, how many of you get out of your car and say, wow, this is the most awesome gas station I have ever been in? It feels so good standing here. In fact, I love this gas station so much, I think I'm just going to forget about the trip and I'm just going to hang out here. Listen to that gas pump pump. Wow. Smell that hot tainethyl. Oh, my. Look at all the grease and oil spots on the concrete. A lot of people come here. This place is incredible. This place is awesome. This is where I'm going to stay. Any of you do that? Please don't tell me any of you do that. Nobody does that. Why? Because the whole point of stopping at a gas station is to get the resources that you need so you can get back on the road and get to the destination you're headed to, right? That's what a gas station's all about. That's what the church of Jesus Christ is all about. It's about getting refueled spiritually, not so we can sit around, talk about how great it is in here, but so we can get back out there and deliver the goods to a world that desperately needs to know the difference that only Jesus Christ can make. If you are a disciple, my friend, you cannot stay in here. You have got to get out there. Jesus said, disciples must go, not stay. Second thing here in this program says disciples must be baptized. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. Look at this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, in this particular verse, when Jesus talks about baptism, he is going far beyond 
just the practice of water baptism. What happens when someone receives Christ and we, we baptize them up here in the baptistry. Now, as, a ba- as, as Baptists, we practice water baptism. It's what the Word of God says we're supposed to do. But that is not Jesus' primary emphasis in this verse. You see, in the New Testament, the word baptize can have both a literal and a theological meaning. The literal meaning, you can fill in the blanks here if you want to, the literal meaning of the word baptize, baptizo, means to immerse. It means to put something under the water. That is why as Baptists, we don't sprinkle you. We dunk you, right? That's what the word means. It means to immerse. It means to go under the water. That's the literal meaning. But there's also a a theological meaning to this word baptism. And when the word is used in that theological sense, it means to identify with. To identify with. I've listed a couple of verses for you there that you can look at. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.2 tells us that the children of Israel were all, strange phrase here, the children of Israel were all baptized into Moses when they left Egypt and passed through the Red Sea. Now what does that mean? It simply means when God did those things through Moses when he parted the waters of the Red Sea, when he sent them out. The children of Israel identified themselves with Moses. They identified themselves with the mission God had given Moses, which was to leave Egypt and go to the promised land. So they were baptized into Moses. They identified with Moses and what God was doing through him. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 The Apostle Paul says all of us who were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death. That simply means when we became Christians, we identified with the fact that Jesus' death on the cross broke the power of sin over us so that we also die to sin that we may live unto Christ. Baptism in this theological sense, means that you identify with something. So when Jesus says we're to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, yes, that is a formula for water baptism, but it is much more than that. What Jesus is saying is you need to be a person who identifies with the Father, who identifies with the Son, who identifies with the Holy Spirit, who they are and what they're doing in the world. That's what this means. Disciples identify themselves visibly, openly, boldly with the purposes and the program of heaven. You become and I become representatives of the Father, representatives of the Son, representatives of the Holy Spirit right here and right now so that when the world runs into us, it runs right into the reality of God. His presence, His power, His purposes. And then thirdly, not only must disciples go, not only must they be baptized, but Jesus says disciples must be taught. They must be taught. What do they need to be taught? Theology? Doctrine? No, look at what Jesus says. Teaching them to what? 
obey. My friend, once you understand that Jesus is calling you to be a disciple, the most important thing you need is not another Bible study. The most important thing you need is not another discipleship class, as important as those things are. Once you understand that God has spoken, the most important thing you need to do and I need to do is obey. That's what he's looking for. That's what he's after. You see, Jesus isn't really looking for a bunch of people who have all of the spiritual answers to all of the theological and doctrinal questions. We want you to have that. But here's the truth. What Jesus is looking for more than anything else is for some folks who will simply say, Yes, Lord. Yes. You speak. I'll obey. You show me your will and your word. I'll do it. I'll do it. That's what Jesus is looking for, some Christians who will simply obey. So that's the program. And here's the most exciting part. When you get the power... And when you work the program, then you get in on the promise. That's the third thing. There is a promise for disciples to claim. A power for disciples to command, a program for disciples to complete, a promise for disciples to claim. Look at it, last part of verse 20. Jesus said, don't ever forget this. I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is a promise, church, made exclusively to those who have moved from religion to discipleship. It's not given to everybody. I don't even think it's given to every Christian, even though we spout that all the time. You know, Jesus said He'll be with you always, but He said it in the context of discipleship. Jesus is saying, whenever and wherever there are disciples, that's where I'm going to be. When I see people who are serious about going for me, when I see people who are serious about identifying with me, obeying me, that's where I'm going to hang out, Jesus said. That's where I'm going to show up. And that's what the world needs to see today, church, doesn't it? The world doesn't need to see more church buildings. It doesn't even need to see more church members. It doesn't need to see more church programs. Here's the truth. What the world needs to see more of is Jesus. And if you get the power and you work the program, then Jesus gives you a promise. He says, I'll be there. I'll be right in the middle of that. To the very end of the age. That's what's going to make the difference. And that's the only thing that's going to make the difference. You know, if, uh, if you've ever been to the movies, I'm not a big movie goer. But if you go to the movies, you will know that before you get to see the feature presentation, 
you've got to sit through a series of short clips called coming attractions, right? Coming attractions. Now, those coming attractions are very unique because you're not seeing the whole movie. All you get to see are small parts of the movie, but it's always the best parts. The coming attractions always show you the chase scenes and the fight scenes and the love scenes and the action scenes, all the best stuff. And the reason why they show you the best stuff is because they want you to come back later and see the whole thing, right? Sure. So they give you an exciting preview of what is to come. Would you listen to me? Jesus is saying, there's a new show coming. There's a new show coming. It's not ready for worldwide release yet. But the coming attractions are out. And church, the coming attractions are you and me. You and me, we're the, we're the coming attractions. God has called you and me to join Him in proclaiming this great invitation to come into God's cosmic theater before the curtain goes up on the greatest show that's ever been seen. And if a lost world is going to see Jesus, it is going to depend heavily on how much that lost world sees Jesus in you and in me. And they won't see it if all we've got is a comfortable religion. They won't see it if all we do is come to church and talk about how great it is in here. They will only see Jesus when you've got the power and you're carrying out the program because Jesus said, that's the only place I'm going to be. That's why it is never enough just to sit in church and be a Christian. We've got to get out there and be disciples. Because it's all about Him, folks. I do not like you living. But I'm glad you're getting a job. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. Just in the quietness of this moment, Heavenly Father... We thank you, as always, for your word, for its truth, for its power. Lord, I thank you for a reminder in such a simple way, something I've never forgotten in all my years of life since. In the innocent, humorous words of a child. You give us insight into the way you view our lives. And you tell us very clearly what your purpose is for our lives. Be disciples. 
die totally to self, live totally for Christ, it's not easy. We can't do it in our own strength. That's why you give us this job description. You tell us how to do it. You give us the power to do it. You outline the program for doing it. And then you make us one incredible promise that when we do that, you'll be right in the middle of it. You will always be with us till the very end of the age. It's a promise we can count on, we can bank. When we make the commitment to be disciples, individually, corporately, as the church of Jesus Christ here at Taylor's First Baptist. Father, I pray now you'll have the freedom to speak and move. And Lord, we don't, don't want to just be hearers this morning. It's easy to hear. We want to be doers. We want to take what you tell us and put it into practice. Lord, help us to go in every area and arena of life to identify with you, the Father, our Father, you, Christ, the Son, you, the Holy Spirit. And then, Lord, above all else, that we would just be obedient to do what you've called us to do. Teach us, God, to obey more than anything else. Teach us to be obedient so that we can be confident that you walk with us, beside us, empower us every moment of every day. Lord, if there are decisions that need to be made this morning at the point of this message or any other, we commit this time to you now, Lord. Use it for your honor and glory is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Altars open as always. If God's spoken to you this morning, you need to respond. If I can pray with you, if you just need to come here to this altar and pray. As we sing together, let God do what He wants to do in your heart this morning. Okay, don't hold back. There's a power for you to command. There's a program for you to complete. There's a promise for you to claim. It's all yours this morning if you're willing to be a disciple. You come right now as God speaks to your heart as we sing.